Well, we spend a lot of time uh, worshiping the divine being that we call God. And we come here each Sunday to be in his presence. And uh, I don't think, though, we often wonder, what is God? Who is God? And what are the answers we have to those questions have to do with how we live our own lives here and now? This is part of why I think the church gives us Holy Trinity Sunday, uh, Sunday after Pentecost, perfect opportunity to reflect on just these questions. And it can get a bit confusing, right? Um, it, uh, if we think we understand God, we don't. He is above human comprehension. So our words do the best we can. So what is God? Well, it's, again, a difficult question to answer, and we can't really say much, but we can say that he exists. Uh, in fact, that He's the only being who is essentially existence. He is being itself. Uh, And then we know, too, that God is one. He must exist. It's part of what what he is. And he is one. The very first words from our creed that we say every Sunday are, I believe in one God. For the Jewish people, even before the coming of Jesus, this belief in a single deity who created everything, and ruled over all. That was the core of their belief. The Shema, one of the most important prayers for the Jewish people, is recited twice each day. It begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So what is God? Well, Jews, Muslims, and Christians, uh, we agree at least on this, that God is one. And that God is the creator of everything that is. So that's what we can say about what God is. But who is God? Well, this, I think, Christians of all the other groups have a deeper understanding. Who God is. Because when we ask the question, who someone is, we're inquiring about a person. In the the case of God, though, we're actually inquiring about three persons. We think of Jesus Christ, you know, walking on earth, both as God and man. And he clearly shares the names of God. He's called Lord and other names, uh, which indicate he is the same God who, for example, spoke to Moses from the burning bush in the Old Testament. He shares the deeds of God. He does things that only God should be able to do. Heals people, raises them from the dead, forgives sins, things like this. He shares in the seat of God's throne. As we recall in our creed, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So this tells us that the person of Jesus is God. Likewise, we know there's another, the Father, who's also God. In the Old Testament, something like 20 times God is called Father. And in the New Testament, Jesus referred to God as his Father, something like 45 times in the Last Supper, in the Last Supper accounts alone. So the Father, also God. And then we have the Holy Spirit. He is also God. It was the Holy Spirit who inspired and spoke through the prophets of the Old Testament, who prepared the way for the coming of Jesus. It was the Holy Spirit uh, who was sent by Jesus to guide his church at Pentecost, which we celebrated last Sunday. And the Holy Spirit guides the church still, uh, especially through the sacraments, which he empowers. Uh, So the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, 
too. Also, God. There are a few actually incredible scenes in the scriptures where all three of these persons of the Trinity appear together at once, giving us further evidence that God is indeed three persons, yet because they appear together, also one. At Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River, the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove. He's not a dove, but he appears in this way at that moment. And the Father spoke from heaven. And of course, Jesus is standing there in the river. The Father says, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Likewise, at Jesus' transfiguration, the Spirit is present in the form of a cloud, and the voice of the Father is heard again. So we have here three distinct persons, but one God. Now we've got to make sure we clarify a few things, because it's very easy to get this wrong, and people have over the course of the history of 2,000 years gotten this quite wrong, but we do not believe that God is composed of three separate beings. God is one being, one substance. This is what we mean when we say consubstantial, or as we used to say, one in being. All three persons exist with the same substance. They are one in being, right? Also, God, we've got to make sure we understand this, he doesn't sometimes just act like a spirit and then like change costumes and then ask, act like Jesus and then change costumes and then dress up like as an old man and then act like the father? No. He is at all times Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three, always existing, always acting together, never alone. They are the one God. Now, I'm sure you've heard, uh, like I said, this is confusing, uh, but you've probably heard a few metaphors or analogies that maybe try to help this, make this a little more accessible for us. And like all metaphors, none of them are perfect. One that isn't great necessarily, but you've probably heard it, is the shamrock, right? Three leaves, but it's one. Uh, It said St. Patrick used to use the shamrock as a symbol to explain the Trinity to unbelievers. He'd hold up a shamrock and he would say, is it one leaf or three? And Well, it's one and three, was was the reply, and so it is with God. Or uh, the equilateral triangle, you know, that's another uh, symbol of the Holy Trinity. Uh, You might even see there's some paintings of, for example, of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they have like a triangle-shaped halo instead of the regular round one. Well, this is why. Uh, The equilateral triangle has three equal sides, but it's one triangle. Then there's the best, I think, uh, metaphor or analogy or image of God as a trinity. And that is the trinity as a family. God himself as not a lone person, but a community, a communion of persons united in love. As St. John wrote, God is love. He is love. And love, real love, is never solitary. We say the Father is the one who loves, the Son is the one who is loved, the Beloved, and the Holy Spirit is the love between them, proceeding from them both. Now this is all very abstract, but what does it mean for us? Well, more than we might think at first glance. First of all, to understand Scripture and our faith at all, we need to have the basic fact in our head. One God Three persons. 
The Catechism tells us the mystery of the Holy Trinity is the central mystery of the Christian faith and life. It is the mystery of God in himself. It is therefore the source of all the other mysteries of faith, that enlight, the light that enlightens them. And secondly, we need to remember that we are made in God's image. Similarly, our families are meant to be images, reflections, mirrors of God himself, of the Trinitarian reality of God. St. John Paul II, in his letter to families, wrote that the primordial model of the family is to be sought in God himself, in the Trinitarian mystery of his life. Here's what I mean. I know I've used this many times, but I think we need to remember it. A husband and a wife, they're equal in dignity to each other, but they are different from one another. They're different persons. They are separate, but they are united as one flesh. And their mutual and total self-gift, each to the other, out of love, is to be so complete that it becomes fruitful and becomes or results in a third person, a child. Also equal in dignity, but different, a different person from the other two, the parents. So here we have the example of three persons united in love as a family. Now these days, the fact that the family is meant to be a reflection of God's inner life, that's being forgotten. It's being diluted and attacked. It's being said that we can kind of make up our own definition of family. Contraception, for example, uh, this is something that makes the gift of husband and wife to each other something less than it's intended to be. You know, it removes the fruitfulness of marriage that reflects the fruitfulness of God's love. Likewise, sex outside of marriage fails to image God's love because it's selfish. It's unfair to those who are involved, especially to any children that may come about through sex outside of marriage. Everyone deserves a family, rock solid, like the unity of God, in which to live. Same-sex couples, even more so, are incapable of the sort of union required to be a reflection of God's fruitful love. This is why such relationships can never be true sacramental marriages. So what does our understanding of the one God as trinity of persons mean for us? Well, it means a lot. We are made in the image of this God, and that fact informs and supports all that the church teaches, especially about marriage and family life and sexuality. None of it is arbitrary, and all of it is good. And in closing, I admit this is all rather uh, confusing. And if you'll permit me, as I was sitting in the confessional, I was reading, and I'm going to read to you this entire book, because this is what you need to know about the Trinity. Actually, this book isn't large enough to explain the Trinity, but uh, Peter Kreeft has this to say. This can be a bit confusing, the Trinity. It's surprising, he says. If this doctrine of the Trinity were not surprising, we would suspect we made it up. Science progresses in its knowledge of the real world by always adjusting its theories to the data. And the data always contains surprises. 
What looks like solid matter is mainly space. Matter is convertible with energy. Most matter is invisible. The universe is unimaginably vast and old. Electrons that change orbits and that leave or enter atoms exist in two different places at the same time. Time is relative. If you travel at near the speed of light for a week and your twin stayed behind, when you met your twin again, he would have aged not a week, but a decade. A tiny invisible germ can kill a dinosaur or a human. The real world is full of surprises. If God, the creator of it, was not even more surprising, that would be even more surprising yet. If we understood it all, we would be gone, and we would not need to believe in any other God. Whatever is really real is always surprising and full of mysteries. Don't be scandalized if you don't understand it. Be scandalized if you think you do. Don't throw away the faith because you can't fully understand it. Throw it away if you do, because then it would be your own invention. He's right. Uh, the Trinity can be confusing. It's surprising. One and three and so on. And while this belief is reasonable, i.e. not contrary to reason, it is above reason. Thus we accept this in faith because God revealed these things to us. But, as St. Augustine said back in the 4th century, even when he reveals himself, God remains a mystery beyond words. If you understood him, it would not be God. Amen.